Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. All right, we are in week three of our series on Q&A, and so uh, let's review the guidelines right quick. First of all, if the Bible deals with it directly, we'll deal with it directly. The Bible deals with the question in principle, we'll deal with the question in principle. If it's just our opinion, we will tell you our opinion. And so what we've done is we've had to, had far more questions than we could possibly answer. We've had them come in online from people who don't even attend Grace Hill personally. They listen every week online. We've had them come in from the congregation. And then we've had to, we've had to like kind of uh, can make them concise, narrow them down to even topics. So the first week we dealt with why was there suffering, but it dealt with multiple questions within that topic of is everything that happens in our life good or preordained? And we kind of dealt with that in that first topic. And so this week we're narrowing it down to everything that we're calling the Jesus questions. So the Jesus questions were, I mean, just a bunch of questions to ask about Jesus, about heaven and hell type things. And so we've narrowed those down to that. And so we're now going to jump in to these type things. So Tam, what's our first question for the day? So our first question is, what happens when someone dies without accepting Jesus? Well, this is actually a very easy question to answer but it is a very difficult answer to accept. Mm. So I kind of want to work our way backwards just a little bit on it, and I want to talk about Jesus himself. So if we're saying you need to accept Jesus, what does Jesus say about himself? And of course, first in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there is one way to heaven, only one. And Jesus is that way. You know something, church, and this is sometimes a little bit difficult to say. The truth is, the answer to this question is the most controversial thing we believe as Christians. You're like, no, 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 wait a minute. I thought it was homosexuality or drinking, or abort. No, it's none of those things. Because none of those things matter as much as this one question matters. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the way. Truly, it doesn't matter what the answer is on all those other questions if you get this question wrong. Look at what else Jesus says. Well, actually, let's look at what Peter says about Jesus. In Acts 4.12, it says, salvation is found in no one else, speaking of Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So the thing is, if you're a Christian and you say, well, I believe my way to heaven is Jesus, but I think that there are other ways, you know, that other people get to heaven other ways. 
then I would have to say to you, you might not be the Christian you think you are. You don't know who you believe in. You don't really know Jesus. So as harsh as this is, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, does that mean you can't come here if you don't believe that? No, absolutely not. This is an environment for learning, for seeking, for understanding. Um, But we're just trying to answer the question directly. And so in doing that, let's move on and say, if you do not accept Jesus, then what is the alternative? It's hell. It's hell. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41 through 46, 46, he said to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. This is such a huge thing, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get emotional here, but when we grasp the realization of this, it's overwhelming. You know, even C.S. Lewis, uh, the famous author, he had trouble with this as well. He said this. Lewis' thesis is that while the doctrine of hell is hard to accept, it is nevertheless moral. He states, I am not going to try to prove the doctrine tolerable. It is not tolerable. But I think the doctrine can be shown to be moral. You see, we have a good God. We have a just God. And so there has to be the opposite of that. And without the acceptance of Jesus, then that's where folks find themselves. You know, in John 3, 16, Jesus sent his, I mean, God sent his son, Jesus, Not to condemn the world, to save the world. The thing is, we're already condemned. We're all already on a path to hell. But Jesus, Jesus is the answer. Let's look at one more scripture verse in Revelations 11 through 15. And this is going to be a lot and thick, but work with me here. Uh, John is writing this and he says, then I saw a great white throne and around him who was seated on it and earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in these books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so folks this morning, when we accept Jesus as our savior, our name is written in the lamb's book of life. And we get to enter heaven. You see, people who don't know Jesus, all they have to be judged on is their life. And none of us can add up. You see, there's not enough good works to get into heaven. It's only through Jesus. And so your name, it's got to be in that book. 
And what's amazing about this though, it's not harsh. It's not judgmental because Jesus is free to everyone. All you have to do is say, I accept, I believe. The question that came that actually that initiated that said this, what does the Bible say about those who, where they go when they don't receive Christ? And at the bottom it said, all I want is what the Bible says about this. So in other words, Michael, your opinion doesn't matter. Tamara's opinion doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? And therefore that's what we're presenting. And that's incredibly tough. And so the questions that we're covering today, some of them will cross over and will answer each other using multiple scriptures at, uh, several times. And that's kind of the questions we're working through today. And one of the questions that came is then what happens, basically what happens to those who've never heard, right? That kind of becomes, what about the nations and the people who never heard? And in fact, my neighbor, when I lived in Houston across the street, an older gentleman, his wife was a devout believer and he was not a believer. And he was an older gentleman and he had a boxer dog and I had a boxer dog and we were friends and he would come over and sit in my backyard and we would drink tea together and we would ask and work through that question over and over and over. He'd say, Michael, I just don't understand. And he would ask me this question. And so that was another question that came out today was what happens to the people or the nations who don't believe? Scroggins, what what does the Bible say about this? Well, the Bible is pretty clear um, about this. There's a couple points I want to make before we directly address the question, if that's okay. Um, So first thing I want to say is that Scripture is clear that all men are judged for their own actions. Okay, uh, I think we have some, some verses that say that. Jeremiah 31, 29 through 30 says, In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So I want to make that point because there's certain schools of thought out there that tell you, you are born in a position of war with God, right? And that naturally raises the question here is, hey, that then nobody has a fair shot. God doesn't seem fair, right? But the Bible's clear about this. Everyone dies for their own sins, not for the sins of an ancestor, okay? Second point, all men have knowledge of right and wrong and are accountable to it. If you have any questions about this, read Romans chapter one, specifically verses 18 through 21. Um, It's pretty plainly stated there that Men are born with the image of God, the, the imagio Dei, the image of God. We, we have his law, his ways, his character inscribed upon our hearts. We are born knowing right from wrong, okay? Um, another thing in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48, Jesus says this, he says, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he did not know, he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. So here Jesus implies that knowledge is a component. The more you know, the more you're held accountable to. Does that make sense? Right? So the more we understand of that imagio Dei, the more God expects of us. Okay? So the Bible's clear about these things, that everyone is going to pay for their own sins, okay? And when you know what's right and you fail to do it, you are held accountable for that. Jesus expects you to do what you know to do, okay? 
Another thing that the Bible is clear about is that there will be a judge, and there will be a judgment. Uh, Tamara hit on that. The last scripture she hit, I mean, that's specific. We see there's a judge. So then the question is, who will be the judge? And for me, this is the heart of answering the question at hand, okay? So what about those people that never had a chance to hear? What about that guy that died on Easter Saturday, you know? What about that dude that was a village over and died on Easter Monday? What about that guy, right? It calls into questions these, man, that just doesn't sound fair. But Jesus is the judge, The Bible states over and over, Jesus himself, he says, for the Son of Man will come in glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Jesus is the judge. And why is that important? Because we know Jesus's character. Okay? We know exactly what Jesus is like. This is something that's so close to my heart, because there's nothing more precious in the universe than the character of Jesus Christ. He is such a beautiful honest and good person. You think of the woman caught in adultery. What did he do? Drew in the sand to distract attention and cover some of her shame. And then he stood up and said, hey, let the first one of you without sin, y'all can throw the stone. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And then there's hypocritical Pharisees and Sadducees. Matthew 23. I mean, he lays them out. He just volcanic, volatile scorn just comes out of his mouth. I mean, if a tongue could be a whip, that would be it, right? Remember what he did with the money changers? He blocked the door and whipped them. He wouldn't let them get away, right? So this Jesus, this man that gave justice to those that deserved it and gave mercy to those that deserved it, he will be the judge, right? We know that we can trust Jesus's character. He is so beautiful, so precious, so kind, and so good that no matter what the answer to this question is, because the Bible isn't 100% clear, no matter what the answer is about the people that never had a chance to hear, we know that Jesus will do the right thing. In Genesis, it says, and yet will will not the Lord of all the earth do right? 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 Um, I want to wrap this up. I'll pick that up in a second. I want to wrap this up by quoting uh, my favorite author. His name is E. Stanley Jones. And if you haven't read any of his stuff, I encourage you to to buy any of his books. Uh, This is a quotation from Christ the Indian Road. Um, E. Stanley Jones says this about Jesus. He did not merely ask men to turn the other cheek when smitten on the one. To go the second mile when compelled to to go one. To give the cloak also when suited the law and the coat was taken away. To love our enemies and to bless them, he himself did that very thing. The servant struck him on one cheek, and he turned the other, and the soldier struck him on that. They compelled him to go with them one mile from Gethsemane to the judgment hall, and he went with them too, even to Calvary. They took away his coat at the judgment hall, and he gave them his seamless robe at the cross. And in the agony of the cruel torture of the cross, he prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the man, this is the person that will judge all the earth and we can trust him to do what is right. The next question that came uh, for today, this feels really heavy, right? This is heavy stuff. A joke, babe. (laughs) After that, why would I tell a joke? To lighten the mood. This is heavy, weighty stuff that we need to allow to sink in, right? 
This isn't, you know, the beautiful little question is, you know, what would happen if I could squash, squash a bug? You know, what does God's hair look like? You know, those are super cute, super awesome. But these are like eternal questions, questions that deal with the eternity of our hearts and souls and those of our neighbors and those around the world. It's weighty, weighty stuff, but it's important enough for us to be absolutely clear on. Amen? Amen. So the next question that came up is, are Catholics Christians? Are Catholics Christians? And so we want to address that today and bring that up when really we have multiple in our church of Catholic background. So this is really an interesting question. And truthfully, uh, this is a question that was brought both by a Protestant background and Catholic background. So this is a really important question. The truth is the question can be asked of about just about any church. Is a Lutheran a Christian? Is an assembly of God a Christian? Is a Baptist a Christian? Is Presbyterian a Christian? Is a church of God a Christian? Is a church of God in Christ a Christian? Are, are, are charismatics Christians? Pentecostals, evangelicals, are they Christians? So this is really a great question. And really the answer is less about the denomination and more about what defining a Christian is. So the deal is, what is a Christian? In short, a Christian is someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the the definition of a Christian. It's someone who's rejected the world, rejected sin, turned away from Satan, and they have turned to Jesus as their personal Savior. So anyone of any denomination who has done that, rejected sin, rejected Satan, rejected the past, and turned to Jesus of any denomination who has done that is a Christian. So how are we saved? Ephesians verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. So you've heard us say it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that goes back to the first question, to by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how we're saved. And it says it's not from yourselves. You can never be good enough. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Again, it's just, and then that faith in Christ, it leads us to obedience, but we are not obedient to the law enough. We're not good enough to lead us to salvation. Salvation, the change in our hearts, the obedience to the Lord is a result, not the cause. Romans 3.23, it says that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, these are the things that in Western culture we don't like. The Bible was written with a very Eastern culture mindset. So Romans 6.23 says the wages of those sin is death. We don't like that. We don't like that. It's maybe a slap on the hand. It's maybe a five minutes in time out. But the wages of sin, the result of that is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the beautiful thing. So again, how are we saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10, verses uh, 11 and 13, it says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is rejecting sin, claiming, professing, turning to Christ, turning to Jesus, and that leads you in a life of obedience. 
So that's what a Christian is, regardless of denomination. But the truth is, you should attend a church that has solid Bible teaching. Amen? That you should find the place that teaches the most solid Bible doctrine and go there. Because the fear is, the fear is that a church's tradition gets elevated over Scripture. And the tradition becomes salvation, not in Jesus alone. So let me give you an example of a conversation with a pastor. One time he, he tells me that there's no language in our constitution and bylaws that allows for a born-again experience. Let me say that again. Let process this. He says there's no language in our constitution and bylaws as a church that allows for a born-again experience. What he's saying is, that our constitution and bylaws of how we operate as a church has now superseded scripture because I asked him, I said, well, what, forget your constitution and bylaws. What, is the, what do you have to say about what the Bible says in John 3, 3, that unless you be born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God? So it's really not about our constitution and bylaws and what we say. It is about a very scriptural principle here. And so for them, membership and giving were how you were saved. I want to say this. Confirmation is class is great for information and for discipleship, but you cannot check the box of salvation just because you attended a class and memorized some verses. That if Charles Wesley would have heard that pastor, he would have turned over in his grave Because we can never think that church attendance is the key to salvation and that I came to Sunday and I checked the box of salvation. It's about choosing a relationship with Jesus Christ. So culturally, living in the South, in the Bible Belt, that we tend to think in terms of good and in terms of church. And we compartmentalize God into Sunday. That he's a part of our life. But really, we can never think of God as a part of our life. He is a whole of our life. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, Pastor, you brought up there. Um, I call that social conformity. You know, when you start checking off those boxes, that's social conformity. You're only changing your outward actions versus inner conversion, Mm. right? And that's so dangerous. Um, So we can, you know, kind of take some lessons from nature. Like nature actually, you know, all the heavens declare God's glory, right? So uh, how many of y'all are familiar how vaccines work? You know, I I hear they're kind of popular to talk about now. Um, I've been out of the country for two years. Has stuff been going on? Um, Anyway. No, so um, smallpox was a really bad thing. If you get smallpox, you're probably going to be in a world of hurt, right? So do you know how they came up with the uh, vaccine for smallpox? Uh, they actually don't give you smallpox. They give you cowpox. And apparently your immune system can't spell very well. And so it, you're, the outer protein shell, if I can get a little nerdy, I'm sorry, glasses, it gives it away, right? So the outer protein shell of the cowpox virus is so similar to the outer protein shell of the smallpox virus that your body can't tell the difference. And cowpox isn't deadly. So then... Your body, you know, you get the cowpox thing, and you start mooing a little bit every now and again, and then your body builds up the antibodies and starts 
and has a defense. So then you cannot get smallpox. Mm. Isn't that interesting? In the same way, social conformity builds up a resistance to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. When you start checking those boxes, you start thinking, I know what this is about. But look, we're, in Christianity, we don't want cowpox, right? We need to get on the cross and die. We need that lethal smallpox. So one thing you've got to make sure is that there's no counterfeit conversion. You've got to make sure you have the deadly stuff, right? Right, so it's never about being good. It's about being godly and following the Lord, dying to self, receiving Christ, and not about checking the boxes that you go through. So really, partially, the question, the original question could have been asking, the person could have been asking, is Catholic a Christian denomination or is it a different religion? So here's really some history lesson, that Catholic really just simply means universal, that it was the original or beginning denomination, if you will, though there wasn't really that type of thing at the point, at that point. So Christianity obviously traces its roots back to Christ, but it traces its roots back to Christ through the Catholic church. So there became a point where the tradition so superseded solid biblical theology that there was a break and there was a breaking point. And the Protestant revolution became, uh, came about when Martin Luther tacked the thesis on the door. And, uh, and really, again, that's when it all changed. So the short is, is that Catholics can be Christian if the Bible and faith are elevated beyond church tradition. But that is true for any denomination. The next question that came about was this. It's a great question. It says, what makes Christianity different from other world religions? How many of you know we could do an entire series on this, and yet here we are trying to answer it within the context of this message? So the truth is we could do not only a whole series, we could do an entire sermon, and we're trying to go here. So in prep for this, I almost felt like it was a whole series, or it was just simply a snapshot. So let me give you just a snapshot of how Christianity is different. So Christianity, so the, the question often becomes, you know, can't we find God through multiple religions, everybody's good intention, so what makes Christianity different? And I'll answer this as uniquely as possible, or as concisely as possible. Christianity is unique in that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection is maybe the most distinguishing feature because the entirety of Christianity stands or falls upon the truth of the resurrection. And there was one great theologian or one great historian rather that said that Christianity is the best attested fact in history, that we have more proof of the resurrection than we have of the life of Shakespeare. So Christianity is, is also unique because it presents God as taking the initiative to reach down to humanity. In other religions, it's about that are of human origin represent our attempt of humanity in reaching up to God and trying to please God and trying to do well enough to impress God, where Christianity is God looking down upon mankind and reaching down to man. That how many of you know that when you're always trying to impress and you're always on, that that is wearisome, right? I mean, when you're always trying to impress and you're always try, uh, giving out and you're always those things, that is incredibly difficult and it's just not sustainable. There's a moment where you have to rest in the grace of God. 
to say, you know what, God, I cannot outdo my... How many of you in here have ever had a judgmental thought towards somebody else? Come on, raise them up, raise them up. How many of you in here have ever had a lustful thought? Come on, raise them up. How many of you in here have ever lingered? Don't raise your hands on this one. You've lingered on that lustful thought. (laughs) How many of you in here have ever had a bitter thought in here? How many of you have ever stolen? Come on, okay, now more than how many of you have ever stolen? How many of you in here have ever lied? How many of you have ever cheated? So sometimes, even though there's outer conformity, there's inward things we deal with, and probably we can never, ever be good enough to be on enough to make up for those things. Because that's what some things are. You do more good than bad. So really, this for us is about, it's, it's incredibly difficult. We're always wondering. But Christianity is God reaching down through his son, Jesus Christ. It gives us peace with God, gives us joy. Philippians 4 is saying, you know, as you're resting in God and thinking on God that the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it is not only the resurrection, but it's also God reaching to us. Another significant point of Christianity is that it's not so much of a religion, though it's become that for some. It was never intended to be a religion, but a relationship. Jesus didn't come as in other religious leaders. He didn't come to start a new religion. He came to to restart and reestablish a relationship with God. And so Christianity is not about rules and regulations and keeping all of those things, but about a personal relationship with God that is given to us by faith in Christ, and it is a gift. So personal salvation is not something that you have to work for and have to earn. It's something that is just a surrender to God and allowing him to do the work inside of you. Again, a verse we read just a moment ago is Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. That you receive it by faith, repenting of sins, placing faith in Jesus Christ and in his forgiveness. Christ comes into your heart and empowers you by the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. So let me nail it down to this, these, these short sentences. God himself came down to earth. That's the, the, the difference. The claims of the religious leader were that he was God himself and not just a prophet of God. That's unique about Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus and ultimately it's about relationship and grace and not about duty and obligations. Tamara? Okay, I think this is, oh, I'm sorry. This is our last question this morning, and it is, when friends or family members are opposed to Christianity, either by apathy or another religion, what is my responsibility? What if I am persistent and my friends and family choose not to accept Christ? Is their blood on my hands? Wow, mm. what a heavy question. Um, you know, with the first question and thinking about the reality of hell and what that really is, I would say as believers, we can't help but be compelled to share our faith, you know? That it's just so in us that we can't help but reach out and begin to speak to others. But the Bible does speak to this very clearly. In fact, in Ezekiel 3.18, it says this, if I warn the wicked, saying, you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins. 
and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins. But you will have saved yourselves because you obeyed me. So look at it again. If righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and ignore the obstacles I put in their way, they will die. And if you do not warn them, they will die in their sins. None of their righteous acts will be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. And so what's happening here is that God is saying, I do hold you responsible to speak, but he does not hold us responsible for their response. We cannot control whether someone decides to accept Jesus or not. You know, we know that God desires that all come to repentance. And we know in Peter, it talks about he's patient with us. And so we ourselves are patient with others and we speak to others. I love some of these New Testament scripture verses on it. One of my favorite is Colossians 4, 5. It says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. Can you say that about yourself? That your conversation is always full of grace when you're speaking to people who are not believers. Is your conversation full of grace and seasoned with salt? That's a special little addition to that. So it's full of grace, but it's seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So you do need to be a knowledgeable Christian. You need to be prepared to speak to other people when they ask questions and you need to make the most of every opportunity. And then Jude, he talks and he gets a little bit more pointed with us. Um, He says this, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. Ooh, isn't that a powerful picture that he's asking you to reach down and snatch people from the fire. But literally, when you share your faith and someone receives Jesus, that is exactly what you are doing. It says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And so I just want to say in both these scriptures, notice how mercy and grace take the platform. It didn't say, speak hellfire and brimstone. (laughs) In fact, it says it's God's loving kindness that draws us to repentance. And so we're encouraged to be very faithful in our sharing, but we're never responsible for how that person responds to the gospel. And I think this question also leads us to an understanding when the Bible says to go into all the nations. Mm-hmm. So not only do we have a responsibility to, for ourselves to live it out, not only do we have a responsibility to, the, to those around us to tell them and to share our faith, not only do we have an, uh, a responsibility to invite, but I really believe that as a church and as a people, as a body of Christ, that we have a distinct responsibility to send others out. 
And as you guys know, and we won't go through all the people, but we've sent out out of our church in nine years, nine occupational full-time missionaries around the world, that there is a responsibility on our end to send as well to people who have never heard or would have never heard without us sending them out. Some of us in this room may be called to ourselves go. But we for sure are all called to live it out, to speak it where we're at, and to help send others to go. In fact, Scroggins, I think that you have a story on this because uh, Christopher and his wife Katie have been missionaries to the Czech Republic. Yeah. And so you have a, a pretty interesting story on this. Yeah. Um, so the, the sending thing is so amazing. Uh, because it gives you the ability to be two places at once. I mean, my wife and I, we've been vocational missionaries for, for a while now, and we still give and support others, you know? Um, it'd be kind of hypocritical if we didn't. Mm. But um, so we went to the Czech Republic, and uh, the Czech Republic is a, probably the most atheistic nation in the world, is definitely the most atheistic nation in Europe. Uh, the last census they did was in 2010, and then The Guardian, the uh, newspaper in England, did another social census uh, last year, and both of those came back. 97% of the population claims atheism as their, wow. their primary belief system. They are three generations removed from having a Bible in the home. So that means the last person that owned a Bible in your family was your great-grandmother. Can you imagine that? So that's where we went, and um, my wife was discipling one of our Christian students. Uh, in, our, in our group, there's only five Christian students. We had 20 students coming. So my wife was discipling this girl, and uh, this girl had met a friend, and this friend had never touched a Bible in her life, ever. I don't even know if she'd seen one. And so my wife gets to disciple our Czech student on how to disciple this girl. Mm. And over the course of two years, we went from her and her boyfriend leaving the room whenever we talked about Jesus to right before we left, she came to us and said, I've been reading my Bible every day for the last month. Right? That's amazing. Yeah, you know? awesome. Yeah. So the, the sending, the going component, you know, it, it's beautiful. You know, and, and there are people all over the world because of your prayers, because you're giving. There are literally people all over the world that are meeting Jesus, hearing the gospel for the first time ever, if you can conceive of that. Yeah. Awesome. So are we responsible for their response? No, but we are responsible to share. And the a beautiful thing is, is that out of this church, as we've sent missionary after missionary, year after year, hundreds upon hundreds are hearing the gospel that would have never heard it otherwise and the good news of Jesus Christ. So I really do believe today with some heavy questions that were asked out of this congregation and those on our online listening audience, uh, but I really think these are incredibly important things for us to understand. And so I want us to, to I really want us to capture the depth and the weight of loving Jesus, of sharing Jesus, and of sending others to do the same as well. Because as was said early on, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's the hope of our hearts and the hope of our lives. Would you stand together? I want us to pray before we go. Father, today, Lord, you see, Lord, the questions that we've kind of consolidated that were heavy questions, God. And I pray that those in this room, our hearts would be stirred, Lord, to fully commit to you, fully surrender to you, to be able to share you with others, Lord, and then be willing, Lord, to sacrifice ourselves and go around the world or to sacrifice and sending others, Lord, so that the whole world can hear. 
Lord, that's the cry of our heart till the whole world has had the opportunity, a clear opportunity to receive you and to follow you all the days of their life. Father, we thank you that you are just. Lord, some of the things are, are hard, but you're just and your nature is good. And we can trust you to do the right thing as you had mercy on the woman at the well. And Lord, you had so much mercy and grace. And Lord, we can trust you to do what is good and what is right and what is just. We love you and we trust you. And I pray that as this congregation goes out this week, that their hearts, Lord, would be eager to know you more, eager, to, Lord, to embrace your love, eager, Lord, to share you with those around them. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And together we said, amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God. And we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.